Well, this uh, morning we're going to be continuing in our uh, book of Romans, and so if you've been here for a, a while, you've seen we're just going chapter by chapter, section by section, and, and this week we're going to be in Romans 5, the second half of the chapter, so starting in verse 12, you can start turning there, but while you're turning there, I want you to bring to mind for a moment the person in your life that's known to be the biggest talker. The person in your life that's known to be the biggest talker, the person that has so many false endings, you, you know the one, that they're, they're going with a story and you think the conversation's wrapping up and then they add the, did I ever tell you the time? And there it goes into the next story and then the next. The person's usually a pretty passionate person. If you can't think of somebody, it's probably because it's you. Uh, but here, I, I bring that to mind. Maybe, maybe that person is a pastor that you grew up with, that you would hear, and so many times you thought, oh, they're about to land the plane. They're about to land the plane. And then they go into the, did I ever tell you the time? And you're thinking to yourself, did I ever tell you the time the game starts this afternoon? And, uh, and so, so each of us can think, hopefully, of somebody that gets sucked into the passionate portrayal of their story or whatever they're excited about. This morning, I wonder, as I'm reading this text, if Paul wasn't that guy. If, if Paul wasn't the guy that they, that they thought, like, man, he, he's going on, and in, in this last couple chapters, he had been talking about the backdrop of sin, and he finally gets to the, the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's broken through the sin and, and death, and then here we are, again in this section, and you're like, wait a second, I thought we already talked about this. I thought we already unpacked this idea, but here he is in what I see him doing, being led by the Holy Spirit, is making sure that we understand various facets of the gospel message. That if you think about it in your own personal life, I, I, I don't imagine many people after hearing the gospel just one time was just like, okay, I got it. No. Typically, the way it works is you hear different aspects and, and, and pieces and elements, and all of a sudden, maybe one thing is finally said, and then it clicks in our minds. Well, my hope for us as a church, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, is that we become proficient in our ability to communicate the gospel message. That it's not just like a, just a, a one simple message, that we can explain it from multiple angles depending on who the audience is. So this morning, my hope is for us to grow in that, but it's also for us to fully grasp our standing in Jesus Christ. As a, as a forgiven, as a, as a saint, if you will, from Scripture, for, because when we understand who we are, our identity in Jesus Christ under the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that changes the way we see everything. Our perspective on everything in our life is influenced on our understanding of the gospel. Let me pray before we dive in. God, I thank you for this word from Paul, but ultimately from you, your Holy Spirit directing and I pray that you'd teach us, that you'd grow us in our understanding of the gospel, that you'd grow us in our ability to communicate it to others, but we'd also grow in our appreciation and our gratitude for what actually transpired by you taking and absorbing our sin on the cross. 
Pray that that would never get old, that that would sink in deep to our, our very core and what the transformation that comes from that looks like. I ask that you'd speak through this text, that you'd be great and I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So, verse 12 is where we're beginning, and so you don't have to wonder if I'm finished or not in this. We're going to end in verse 21, fair? So we're setting the parameters as we dive in. So verse uh, 12 we're starting with, we're going to see this idea that it all started with our representative. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Let me explain that a, a little bit. First, we'll think of this idea of representative. I don't know if anybody else is already tired of the political race currently happening. Any, anybody else tired of every, every channel you're turned to? I'm like, Ben Carson did this. Hillary said this. And I'm like, okay, we get it. They're all broken. And, 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 and here's, the, here's the, the thing, though. We have 12 more months of it. But the, the, the reason, the, the reason that, that it's an important decision is because what does a president function as? They represent the representative of the United States of America. So you want to pick really wisely who you're going to choose to represent you. Does that make sense? So representation is not, is not a new idea. It's something that's seen in, in, uh, in politics. It's something that's seen in sports and, and even in local politics. My wife and I were talking about it uh, th- this last week. Maybe if you drive past Canaan and Thousand Oaks, have you guys seen his, na- his name is Chris Anstead? For the for last month, this guy is like committed. Here's a, a picture of my wife. I don't know why my wife's taking a picture of him. Uh, but... <laughs> But, but this guy, Chris Anstead, was running for city council in the city of Agora Hills, and this guy was committed. He was out there every morning at rush hour. He's there with his signs that he's there, and it wasn't somebody representing him. It was him. He, he, he's out there. Then at the noon hour, then on your drive home from work, he did this for an extended period of time. And my wife thought it was so neat because after the elections— he, uh, he came out, and you see the picture there, and he had a, a note after the elections to actually say thank you. But what I discovered when I looked it up last night is he lost. I was like, oh, man, but a pretty noble character. I don't know the guy, but I think it's pretty cool. But this idea that he's like, I just want to be your city councilman. Just, just let me, for the love of everything that's good and pure. And, uh, and, so, and so anyway, this idea of representation, that was just an excuse to tell that story. But this idea of representation is not new to us. It's, it's, a, it's an idea that's consistent throughout time. But here we see in our text that we also have a spiritual representative for us. And his name, who can guess his name? His name is Adam. Adam. Let's, we'll start there. We'll get to Jesus. Don't worry. Uh, we start with Adam. The, 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 the name Adam actually means man. So Adam is the man representative for each one of us, man and women. We get it. But, uh, but the, the, the representative and some of us don't really like the decision that he made back in Genesis 2 and 3 representing us, right? Anybody else still a little bitter about that whole thing? And uh, so in Genesis 2 and 3, you remember the choice that he had. Really, he was given only one simple rule. Don't eat from what? One tree. 
They're like, can't you just follow the one rule for what in the world? And the, but the, the tree had an alluring factor because it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Basically, you can read that at first and you're like, what's that talking about? But really, the, this idea is that up until this point, God had been playing the rightful role of God for Adam and Eve, determining what was right and wrong, what direction they should go, which direction they shouldn't go. He was the one leading and guiding and directing. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to determine whether or not man would say, I'm going to play that role. I'm going to determine what's right and wrong for me. I'm going to play God. And you remember what Satan promised, right? What was the thing? He said, if you partake from this, you're going to be like God. You're going to be like God. And they couldn't resist the temptation, and they partook from the tree. They partook from the tree, and we see in the the text that ever since that point became self-gods. And when it says that they, sin then came into the world. It's interesting that's not where sin originates. We know that originated with Satan's rebellion, but it came then into the world. God is so perfect, it only took one sin to pollute an entire race of people. Isn't that crazy to think about the perfection and holiness of God? I think when we grasp that, we have a little bit better understanding of how significant the gospel is. It only took one person. And you see what it says in the, in the text that it spread to all men. One man's decision and it spread throughout. We're real familiar with this in our media and in, in TV shows and in movies. Think how many times you hear or see this premise played out in a story in, in Hollywood where one person is contaminated and it passes on to everybody. And before you know it, you have a pandemic and everybody is infected, and you got zombies walking around the streets of L.A. You know, you see this, you got this, this played out so often in our media, so it's not a new idea, but it's a scary reality. Adam's choice was catastrophic, both personally and collectively. When he chose to, to rebel, his sin, his sin affected all mankind. And some of us, I alluded to this earlier, some of us are like, I don't really like that idea. I didn't want him representing me. I didn't sign up for this court-appointed attorney. You know, like, I, uh, like, how did I get stuck with this guy representing it? us? But if we're honest with ourselves, what does it say in the text? Because all sinned. Where, where he may, maybe he started the ball rolling, but we've all made that, that, the same mistakes. Based on our own response, listen to this, based on our own response to temptation, we would have eaten too. Based on our own response to temptation, we would have eaten too. And if we're honest with ourselves, we would have succumbed to that in the same way that Adam did. And because of his choice, though, what does it show the progression? Sin entered by one man, death entered through sin, and death spread to all men because all sinned. See, that progression in, in mankind is evident so ever since, and it's interesting to think that, that uh, Adam was, was design, wasn't designed to be mortal. He was designed to, to keep on living, and, and because of sin, and it shouldn't have shocked him. He said, if you, if you eat from the tree, surely you'll die. So it shouldn't have been a shocker. But ever since Adam, both sin and death are guaranteed. That's the one for sure thing that's guaranteed. What, is our, what does our culture say are the two things that are guaranteed? Death and 
taxes, right? Death and taxes. We forget the sin, sin piece. That's another guarantee. But taxes, I would propose, you can actually sneak by them. In fact, let me tell you a story. Uh, that, you don't want to hear that from your pastor, do you? Uh, but let me tell you a story. My, my, my Uncle Jack that I grew up with, he would, when we'd visit, my, my grandparents lived in the top part of a house, and he lived with my Aunt Clara in the downstairs of, of this house in Philadelphia. Every time we visited, he would remind us how he never signed up for Social Security. He never signed up. Whenever there was the line back in the early 1900s, he never got in it, and therefore he's like, I don't even pay taxes. I don't even pay taxes. What a terrible, terrible thing. And so, actually, it's kind of sweet. But, uh, but, but this idea, so, so Uncle Jack proves that you can live without paying taxes. But what Uncle Jack doesn't prove is that you can live without sin and without death. Both were part of Uncle Jack's existence. And the same is true in our existence. Those are the two things that we can't avoid. It's part of our experience. So he, par- he starts by pointing this out of where it all started with one representative. It's kind of interesting as I was studying in the text this week. So that's in verse 12. But then you notice at the end of that sentence, there's a little dash there. Because then he goes into a massive rabbit trail. He goes into a massive rabbit trail, and he picks back up in verse 18 the same thought that he had started in verse 12. And so now we're going to look at a little bit of his Holy Spirit-led rabbit trail. In verse 13, he exp- he, in other words, he has some explaining to do in order for this to make some sense. So verse 13, he points out that the consequences impacted everyone, even those without the law. Verse 13 says this, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That clearly needs a little bit of explanation. Basically, what he's making or the, the case that he's making or explanation is he's wanting to point out that, yes, there's a significant time gap between Adam and his disobedience and when the law was given with Moses, right? Do you get that? So, so there's this time gap. And so, so one might say, how can you count sin against the, these people that hadn't been given the law? I'm sure they didn't all come and partake from the from the tree, you know, I'm sure they didn't all come back and eat. So there had to be other aspects of sin. But that's what he's saying. Even though it wasn't the same sin, they still kept on sinning. And this is where it's helpful to kind of pick up where we had already gone in the book of Romans. What does Romans 2 explain to us? That God's written his law on our hearts. They, 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 they were without guilt. He's, he's given us a conscience. There's that, that, there's that buzzer that says, hey, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. Or, hey, hey, you should be doing that. God's given that from birth for each one of us. So sin, even though it wasn't counted because of the law, it was still present, and it still definitely had its consequences. Ask the people from Noah's day and age, if, still, if sin wasn't still present and there weren't still consequences for sin, right? So that was before Moses. So he points out this idea and he says that death reigned. Death reigned. It's kind of a scary two words there, this idea of death reigning. But isn't that really the cycle that every person 
that's ever been born has experienced. They, they live, they sin, they die. Next generation. They live, they sin, they die. Death reigned. Basically, if you're going to invest in something, vest, invest in a cemetery because they're not going out of business. Like, honestly, like that's the one sure gamble because death, people, I, I, I hesitate to say this, but people are dying to get in them. But uh, b- bad jokes, bad jokes. But, uh, b- but this idea that, that death, my son would call that a dad joke. And so, uh, uh, but anyway, this idea of death reigning is, is, is clear in, in human history, pretty much being a conveyor belt of it. Points out one other thing in the last section of that. It's kind of an interesting parallel. It says, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Hear those words. You're like, what? what do you mean he was a type? They're very different. Jesus Christ and Adam, man. Adam blew it. Jesus Christ didn't. How is he a type? But think about that for a moment. Both were real people. It's important to understand that both were real people. Both served as a representative of all people. Both drew the world to themselves, one for evil, one for good. Both, think about this one for a second, both affected the course of humanity by one act or choice. Kind of a powerful picture of how they relate. Humanity is either in Adam or in Christ. You see that now in verse 15 where this alternate representative is offered. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift, see that reoccurring theme, is not like the result of that one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 15, this is good news for each one of us. This idea of saying, in the same way we're all infected by one man, we all have the potential to be healed by one man. And in verse 15, it says the one man, Jesus Christ. It clearly states who this one man is, a potential new representative. That's good news. Universal salvation is made possible through one person. It solves the universal need. I like what you notice in the, the text there, and it gets a, he jumps around a little bit, but one of the running themes that you see in those couple verses, he actually uses it six times as the words either grace or gift. He uses it, those interchangeably. That's a, a great reminder for, for us that this representative isn't something that we, hey, we, we earned this or we did something to deserve it. It's just, it's, it's just simply a gift. Something that's that big of a deal couldn't be something that we earn. I was reminded of a story I heard when I was uh, much younger this week, and maybe you're familiar with this. It's a story of a missionary that went over to India to try to reach out, out, out to this unchurched people group. And being there, he showed up in this small village, and he met an older gentleman, and he started developing a relationship. And the, the older gentleman, his occupation was to actually dive for pearls. I was like, that's kind of a cool job. You know, you look, to, look for the, is it, what do they come in, a clam? Yeah, a clam, open those up, and, and an oyster, clam. You said clam. And, uh, and so, uh, and so my, my wife, um, but uh, go, go inside of an oyster, come out with the, the perfect 
uh, looking for the perfect pearl. And over a period of time, the, the missionary had, over time, had just tried to explain to him that it's a free gift. It's nothing you can earn. Jesus did it for you on the cross. Explain the gospel message consistently. But it never seemed to sink in for this man. He couldn't understand something so awesome that was given for free, that he didn't have to do anything to earn it. He grew up in the background of, uh, like many of us, where you have to work hard to, to earn something, to, to actually acquire it. He didn't understand how grace worked. And the story as it goes is that after a, a season of this relationship, they really got to be close friends. And, and the, the man, the Indian man, was on a, a pilgrimage where he's heading to Delhi to go prove to God his faithfulness. And there's details in that aspect but before leaving, he wanted to make sure that the American missionary had known how appreciated he was, so he left him a gift. He actually gave him a gift. It was in a box, and when the, you can probably guess where this is going. When the, the missionary opened it up, it was the perfect pearl, big and fat out of a clam, and, uh, and, and uh, he pulls, pulls it out, he, he pull, pulls it out, and he's like, this is this is, this is too much. This is unbelievable. The missionaries explain, can I, can, I, can I buy this from you? Can I pay you something for this? And, and the, the man with, with tears in his eyes explained to him the story behind the pearl. He said, I only had one son that my wife and I raised. That one son, one time when he was on a, on a dive, come, came across this pearl and is tucked down in between rocks and, and pushed that limit of holding your breath where he actually blacked out then ended up dying in an attempt to get this pearl. He said, so listen, uh, he said, not to, not to be rude with your offer, I appreciate your offer to pay for this, but he said, listen, there's no dollar amount that you could give me that would be worth the price that was paid for this pearl. He's thinking about that, and the missionary finally had something to work with, finally had an explanation he could give. He's like, you don't, you don't get it. We can't, the cost was too great for salvation. Who would insult God by offering to pay for something that cost him the life of his only son? Who could do that? That, that would be an, an insult. Sometimes a gift is so great that a dollar amount or a repay amount just doesn't even make sense. So that's why Paul wants to be clear this is a gift. This isn't something. This, this representative that wants to represent you, that wants to represent I, I like it, it's impossible. It's not something we could do to earn it. It's a big deal, though, this alternate representative, because there's a lot on the line. Look in verse 17. We see life and death on the line here. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I'll focus first on that beginning line. For if because of one man's trespass, trespass, death reigned. This idea still, we saw it earlier, this idea of death reigning. And I think it's important for us to understand biblically what is meant by the word death. Because sometimes we just think of that as, hey, we sucked our last breath and we, we died and that was it. And that, that's our, our, our picture of death. But in a, in, a, in a biblical sense, death is a lot more than that. There's a spiritual element to death that talks about our separation from God. The one that we were designed to be in relationship. When we, when we spiritually die, that, that separ there's a separation that breaks us from our creator, the one and only person or creator that we were designed to be in relationship with. That's the spiritual death. 
physical death, that's a little bit more obvious. We all feel it coming. Anybody feel like the, the joints are a little tighter, the bones are a little more sore? I tried to play basketball yesterday, yesterday morning, and I came back, and I was like just limping into the house with one leg in and shoulders thrown out, the neck's a little sore. And I'm like, man, that didn't happen when I was 20 years old. Anybody else in that, that season of life? And you're like, what in the world? Just breaking down. Physical death is the obvious. Eternal death separation, nobody really likes to talk about this one, separation from God and eternal torment in hell. Not a real popular topic in our, our culture, but a reality pointed to in Scripture. All three of these should be feared. Spiritual death prevents, really prevents earthly happiness. Can't really, nothing seems to satisfy when you're separated from your maker. Physical death concludes, think about this for a second, Physical death concludes opportunity for salvation. Then eternal death brings the obvious, everlasting punishment. All three are things that should make us a little bit more concerned about those we know that are still being represented by Adam, right? That should, that, that should compel us and motivate us because why? Because there's a lot of on the line. This is, this, is, this is a big deal. Death is reigning under Adam. Death is reigning under Adam. It's a big deal. It's a lot of stake there, but there's a lot of awesome stuff on the other side of it. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All be made alive. So this is what's at stake here. Life and death, life and death. That's, that's what's at stake here. And I love this picture there in 1 Corinthians, the, the description that says that we're made alive. What does that tell us about ourselves apart from Christ? If you were made alive, you had to be dead, right? I've shared this before from up front, but I think it's a, a great reminder for us how really uh, sometimes you talk to people and they tell you about their testimony, you know, the, the word testimony, kind of how they came to know Christ. A lot of people are like, yeah, I, I kind of have a, a boring testimony. You know, I, it, I was, never, uh, uh, I was nev never on meth. You know, I was, I was never, I was, I was never a, a drunk. I was never beat up my wife. You know, my, my testimony is kind of boring. And, uh, and you, you guys don't even flinch at those, those descriptions. That's concerning. <laughs> but uh, but and, <laughs> anyway, um, but, so we, we think we don't have a great testimony because there's not this Con major contrast of behavior, but here's the reminder for us that every testimony is a resurrection story. Every testimony is a resurrection story. You went from being dead to being alive. You went from being dead, like that's a big deal. You know, like, like can you imagine if you had a friend that like was dead in the concrete and you're just like, and then he bounced up, he came back to life. Like you'd be pretty jazzed about telling that story. So here, in this context, there's a lot going on. And the awesome thing is, is he says that it's much more than that. He's like, it's more. I didn't, God didn't just move us back to the Adam pre-sin state. He gave more. He, he, there's not just one dimension to his, his work on the cross, where death is one dimension, just, I'm sorry, sin is one dimension, just death. Jesus' work is multifaceted. The power of sin can be broken. The power of salvation can cannot. Condemnation is reversible. Redemption is not. He's constantly working. What does it say in the text where two of the big ones, he says, 
Well, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. That sounds pretty cool, this idea of reigning in life. And I think those two things are key to reigning in life. What does it say? It says the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. The abundance of grace. I think of it, you can, you can talk about it in big terms. This is how my mind wraps around it, and it'll be, maybe be a little stretch. When I was in uh, college, before I gave them up, I played a little bit of uh, video games. And there was one game in particular I enjoyed. It was called Doom. I don't know if any of you gamers remember uh, this game. Well, th- this game where you're kind of going around and blowing up aliens and all this stuff, and you're a first-person shooter. Not that that makes sense to those that don't play video games. But, uh, but anyway, I was playing this game, and somebody showed me this password you could type in that made you invincible. If you died, you came back to life. And then you went on, and then you could do, do more, more damage and more damage, and it was great, you know? And, uh, and, and this game and, uh, and it was fantastic. And what I discovered over time with this game is as you kept doing more damage going, you started to not really need those new lives as much anymore. Over time, you're, at, at first, you're just like dying every 30 seconds, and you're like, whew, good thing for those. But, but, but over time, you're like, you know what? I don't really die as often. You know, I, I, I see, I, I'm starting to master this game. And, and, and I was thinking about that. Stay with me on this parallel. <laughs> I was think, thinking about that. My wife's like, where are you going with this? She always says that. But, uh, but, but here, think about that for a second. Isn't that the picture of abundant grace. It's like the free pass. It's like, what, what did we learn earlier? It only took one sin to me, mean a death sentence. So it's just like abundant grace. All right, you're back up again. I've blown it. You're back up again. We don't abuse that. We don't abuse that. But the whole hope is the ultimate to grow in righteousness, to grow to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ over time. You're just like, all right, I got shot down, but I'm back up and, and pursuing his likeness. And, and, and because why we're able, we're under the umbrella where he only sees us as righteous, which is awesome news. There are so many facets to this. It's unbelievable. That's why he keeps saying it's more. Trust me, it's more. But think about that. Then over time, as you're, as you're trying to become more and more like him, as, as the Holy Spirit's doing that work of weeding out the old and, and bringing in the new, you don't need quite as many lives anymore. All of a sudden, you're just like, you know what? I'm not the, I'm not the person I want to be, but I'm not the person I was a year ago. I'm not the person I was 12 months ago. This, this sanctification process that happens in our life is because we're under the umbrella of two things, God's amazing grace, unlimited lives, and his perfect righteousness. We're still see, we're seeing right. I, I, I love the, the word we used, defined last week, justified, just as if I'd never sinned, just as if I'd never seen. That's the way we're seeing. So there's this picture here, there's a lot on the line, but there's a lot that's good that's on the line as well. Seems to me like a no-brainer. It seems to me like a no-brainer. Much to lose, but much to gain. And we'll conclude with this, verse 18 through 21. Who will represent me? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Amen to that. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A lot going on there. The first thing you'll notice in verse 18 and 19, remember I said that he was picking up on his statement from all the way back in 12. He's just concluding the, the thought here and the summary. And the summary is this, that because of one man's sin and disobedience, that everyone was made sinners. Because of one man's obedience, it says it right there, we have the potential to be made righteous. This picture here is, is, is fantastic news, a recap, a recap of what our choice is of who's going to represent us. Are we going to be under the representation of Adam or under the representation of Christ? It's a big choice, and really every single person has that decision to make. And he explains in, in verse 20 there, he shows what the role that the law played in all of this. The law wasn't to, to earn which one you're going to be underneath. That's not, that's not possible. But what it does explain is that it, it says, what does it say about the law? It says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. That doesn't mean that it came so that you'd sin more. It came so that it would be more amplified, that you'd start to see it more. So it's vision. You're like, all right, I see how much I'm blown. I, I, I see how broken I am. It's kind of like early diagnosis, if you will. When you think about different diseases, we, we celebrate when the early detection happens because why? Because then you can actually do something about it. It was tough in our, our family's life. My grandfather, he actually developed cataracts in, in his later years. And uh, because, unfortunately, they didn't identify it early enough, he actually lost sight in one eye and like 80% sight in the other eye. And it was really tough because you're just like, oh, man, if we would have detected that a little bit earlier, we could have actually done something about it, Right? Well, this is the same idea that the law plays. It points out how broken we are under Adam so that you can actually do something about it as to who's representing you. I was on this topic of bad representation this week, and I was thinking, man, who comes to mind as a really bad representative? And I was thinking, you know, who, like, who wouldn't think of the worst representative of, of I think, one of the worst of, of all times in, in a political role is, is the man Hitler, I was reading a little bit about how he came to power. I was just like, man, did somebody actually vote him in? Like, how, how did that, that work? Did somebody actually choose? And I was, I was reading a little bit of, of history this week. that he, he actually lost a Democratic election twice. He actually kept losing. Whenever it was up to people to decide, he lost. But then in 1934, through kind of behind the scenes of political corruption, he was actually appointed as leader over Nazi Germany, and so, or actually Democratic Germany at that time. Kind of a, a crazy story of what they got themselves into. I imagine many times during his reign and his tyranny, there's quite a few people in Germany that are just like, oh man, I just wish we had better representation. Don't you think that? Don't you think that? Like, people would have, like, I think the guy on the right, like, I think that guy on the right, right there with the hat on, I think he's just like, I'm smiling, but I can't stand you, man. But, uh, you, you know, like, you think there had to be times that they would have loved 
to change the representation. For us, being born under Adam, we're not in the same situation because we can change our representation. We can change who repre- represents us, and, but for every single one of us, our life comes down to that simple choice. Choosing who is going to represent you. Who will represent me is the question we're all faced with. I was thinking about that, and Jesus Christ was saying, man, I'm, I'm offering here. I'm ready to represent you. For some reason, I brought back that picture of the guy on T.O. and Canaan Road, like just out there, just with a banner, you know. I want to represent you. When I, I'm still here. It's morning. I'm still here. I want to represent you. It, it, it's noon. I'm still here. I want to represent you. I know it's evening and you're tired of seeing me, but I'm still here. I want to represent you. Isn't that the picture of the gospel message, right? Just wants to rep- be, just let me represent you. That's the invitation that each person on this planet has to deal with. How will we respond? And a lot of us are just like, well, we got that. I already, I already chose to have him represent me. And that's an awesome thing. My hope for you is maybe this adds another facet of your ability to explain it to somebody else. Because the second question is, depends how you, you see those words there. Who will represent me or who will represent me is the question I feel God is asking us. Asking us. Okay, that's cool. You chose to let me represent you. Now the question is, who's going to represent him? Who's going to go out into the world around us and say, listen, I read about it. This bald pastor told me that death is reigning for you. Maybe that's not your intro line to somebody about Christ. But, but, but you get the idea. People need to understand the reality of what's actually at stake here and our ability to share with them, there's another representative. You don't have to stay under Hitler. You can change. You can, you can be set free from this. So the question I leave for us, for the church, is who will represent him? Who will represent him? Let me pray for us as we go. God, I thank you so much for this text and the multifaceted aspects of your grace and mercy evident to us in the gospel message that you gave your only son a price that was too great for us to ever even consider, insulting to even think that we could pay that back. The perfect pearl. God, I thank you for that reality. I thank you for those of us, the hope that we have that are in Christ that really Our life's about all kinds of grace as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. That we're washed by him, that we're seen righteous. We've talked about that already in weeks prior, that when you see us, when we're in Christ, you only see the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that reality. That grace and righteousness can reign in our lives pray now just as we're going out of here that we not just allow you to represent us that we'd be faithful in our call and you're super clear on our call God asking us to represent you in our circles of influence pray that you'd empower us that we'd be able to do that in the power of your Holy Spirit thank you so much for your work on our behalf in Jesus Christ's name I pray Amen Did I ever tell you the time? Just kidding.
May the gospel never get old. God bless you. Have a great day.